And I am here with my co-host, Jen. She's an ex-Mormon and an ex-Muslim. Yep. Yeah, that's not a very impressive background, I got to tell you. (laughs) (laughs) That's not not something I would put on my resume. Um, You're starting off like really poorly, already have like low expectations and low (laughs) point of view of you. Thanks, Um, great. How do people react when you say that? Most people are like, how could you be so stupid? (laughs) (laughs) It sounds rude, but it's kind of accurate, right? Yeah. It's like, there's a lot, like, to to jump from uh, Mormon to to Muslim is is not only bizarre and, like, takes a big leap of faith, let's say, but also it's, it it doesn't, I mean, you have to, it takes a lot of naivety, naivete or something. I always say that word wrong. It was a naivete. Naivete, I think. Naivete, I don't know. This is good. This is going to be recorded forever, and I'm going to look like an idiot. Oh, so great! I'm standing on the fence. I'm sweet Switzerland. <laughs> Sweden. <laughs> <laughs> so, so let, let's let's start right off. Um, were you born a Mormon? Yeah, yeah. My family goes back to the beginnings of the Mormon Church to the Second Prophet Brigham Young. So you were so you were born into a, a Mormon family. Mm-hmm. How religious were they? Um, my dad wasn't because my dad really liked weed. He got super religious after my mom left. She left when I was like eight, um, and took off out of the country. Um, but my grandfather was very very conservative and religious. But it, it's kind of like with Mormons. It, it, there's not really a you're either Mormon or you're not. And you either fit into the culture and the environment and because um, you only hang around Mormons. Mormons are, are just, they really keep themselves to themselves. So you kind of have to toe the line no matter what. So yeah, is, I guess. Is, uh, is weed a big no-no in, for Mormons? <laughs> yeah, you can't even drink coffee in the Mormon church. Oh, is that true? That's a no-no. No coffee? Yeah, no tea, no coffee, no alcohol, no smoking. Um, no rated R movies. So your your father was kind of religious. Well, yeah, he uh, he went to church and he went to the temple and he he um, when you go to the temple you receive your endowments and you get your funny magic underwear, um, and you know we went to church religiously <laughs> every <laughs> Sunday, um, and it's three hours of church and then you have your your uh, visiting teaching and home teaching as well, which is where. What is visiting teaching and home? Well, teaching? Mormons keep track of other Mormons and members and what they do it, it's kind of like a spying program but they it's, it's under the guise of teaching each other so you have like your home teachers and they come into your house and and usually once a week or once a month or however you set it up and they they'll teach a lesson to your family and usually it'll be like an elder male the women visit the women and the men visit the men and um, it's more there so that they can report back to the bishopric if you're doing anything wrong that's kind of like it's how it's set up, but it's called the strengthening the members committee. And, um, it's, it's just, that's why we say it was such an easy slide from the Mormon church to Islam, because if anything, the Mormon church controls your life more than Islam because, well, no, in, in the Islamic countries, my life was controlled more, but in a Western country as a Muslim, I had more freedom than as a Mormon in a Western country. 
if that makes sense. Well, because I, I think the yeah. the theology of, of the religion itself and how it's structured, it's just the the tightness of the community. I, oh, absolutely. I felt, yeah. Right? yeah, yeah. And I, I feel like that's the main difference when people talk versus religion and cults. Like, I feel like cult has to be a very tight knit community to for it to be called a cult. Well, well any dissent is met with shunning too in a cult, and that's the way it is. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Like church, you have to yeah. live around the people there. You have to go to school with those people and exclusively those people. Yeah. Right. Then yeah. I feel like you're. That's that's when we can qualify it as uh, as a cult. Like for example, in Latin America, I wouldn't say Catholicism. People who are Catholic are in a cult because, you know, they can so loosely come and go as they please. While that in a cult, you you can't really do that. So you know, Mormonism is still like kind of it, it's it's big enough that it doesn't you could still call it a religion and not a cult, but it still has those factors of just like the tight knit community that cults have. Yeah, just like in Scientology as well. And but they 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 actively teach shunning. They they don't. It's another thing. It it, it drives me crazy. The the members of the Mormon Church will outright lie to non Mormons and the and the bishopric of the Mormon Church. The people that are in charge in in Salt Lake City, like the the prophet and his first and second counselors, and they have like the the twelve apostles and um, the, the, it's like the hierarchy, right? They will lie. They just it, it's just like Muslims. They they with a straight face they will just say no. We're not this. But anyone that's a member and anyone that's part of the community knows that's a lie, and everyone accepts it. Like I don't talk about that a lot. That that, that if the way of speaking for religious people in the, in their churches and outside to people who are not in the religion is extremely different. Yeah. Yeah. Like even in my experience as a person who's never been religious, um, I've been invited to churches from friends and family. Um, who talk to me about their religion. And then, you know, in my life, I've occasionally have gone to different kinds of churches um, with a friend who wanted to invite me or a family member or a cousin who, you know, like, oh, come to my church and this and that. And then you get in there and you hear the sermons and then the stuff gets really off the wall, right? Because <laughs> then they're, because it's, it's them speaking between each other. It's a little scary. Yeah, yeah. So It's infuriating though, as as a as a you know person that's been either an ex member of the community or a member of the community at the time it is infuriating to watch why is it infuriating because i i they i know the truth and and i it's infuriating that they could with a straight face tell everyone just a complete and utter falsehood and not feel bad about it and it's so it's disingenuous it's dangerous it's it's evil i just I, I get so sick to my stomach when I watch it. I, I feel the way with the Muslims. I feel the way with the Mormons. It's just, I, I'm real big, obviously, I'm real big on being blunt and honest. I, I prefer having this open, free life where um, an uncomfortable truth rather than all those lies, but it, people are so comfortable with lies and it, it just it upsets me. <laughs> How do you think that people in, religious people in church, how, how do they self-justify lying to others outside of their church? Um, at least, I know when I was a Mormon, I felt like I had the truth. Um, well, I was told I was a Latter-day Saint and we were the chosen people. And even in my patriarchal blessing, which is, uh, when you're come of age around 16, you go see the patriarch and he gives you a blessing. And it tells you your future. I don't know if any, a lot of people know about this. Um, so I have a three page blessing where it, it tells me I'm going to live until the second coming and I'm going to marry a dark haired man which was true and I was going to have some children, but I was going to lose a lot of children, which was also true. But basically it's like this, this patriarch that um, 
says a lot of bullshit and his wife types it out after he's recorded it. And um, the, the, the uh, there's just, there's so much crazy. There's so much crazy. I don't even know. Who, who chooses the patriarch? The, the, the bishopric, um, within the, the Mormon church, you have um, like your stake president, you have the, the president of the church, which is the prophet. And he's, he, they believe that he actively speaks to God, like he has a direct line to God, like telephone. When I was a kid, I was told he had a telephone to God. Um, and then you have his first and second counselors. And then the, there's like the, the um, quorum of the 70, you've got the 12 apostles. They're all like old white guys in Salt Lake City running everything. And then it kind of trickles down to the local level where you have um, like leaders of the ward houses, their stake, um, stake centers, which is a building that houses smaller wards of people. And it, you go to church. Oh, you're not allowed to pick your church in the Mormon church either. You're assigned to church based on where you live. So they ensure that the people you go to church with are the people that you're going to be running to in the grocery store, that you're going to see at school, that um, you're going to live around as your neighbors. So they everyone keeps, again, you know, they're very insular, the, the community. But they, do they but that's who picks live? the patriarch. Pardon? Do they choose where you live as well? No, no. It's just um, the, the boundary lines for the wards are drawn by address, and you don't, and you can't attend a different church. Like you're, you're a member. You're, you have a membership card. You pay your tithing to that particular ward. I mean, it goes to the coffers in Salt Lake City, but um, your bishop is the one that interviews you for everything, and like your your tithing settlement at the end of the year to make sure you've paid your ten percent, or um, your worthiness interviews. Like we we had talked about, like when you're twelve, you're interviewed about. Um, whether or not you masturbate or you have impure thoughts. So every six months you get interviewed privately with um, your bishop. So that it, it, it it's, um, again, it was an easy slide from the Mormon church to Islam because of things like that, like the worthiness interviews. Moral morality and staying pure is a big thing in the Mormon church. They actually told us from a very young age, better that you are dead than without your virtue. And your virtue is obviously your virginity. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. It so always I, comes back to virginity, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That, my dad that, told me he would rather me die. Hymen mm -hmm. is, is just gold for religious people. It just, it's just like to have your own father be like, I would rather you be dead than be raped. I'd Stop. rather you be dead than be raped. Yeah. Lose your life fighting for your virginity rather than come home unclean or without your virtue. I could never imagine saying that to anyone, much less like, a daughter. Mm. I would never say that to a person. And for, for a parent to say that to their daughter is just mind boggling. But it, it, it really shows the emphasis they put on the magical hymen. And my dad was a quote unquote moderate, you know, not like, like, uh -huh. not like my grandfather, who was very extreme, and very conservative. My dad was still, you know, he was, he was born in I think 1935. He, um, he was uh, in the movies in the fifties. Like he was, we talked rebel without a cause, just bits and bit parts and things, but he, he liked to smoke weed. He, he, um, he was a free spirit, but at the same time he was a misogynist. Uh, I know that he beat one of the women he was with. He beat me up on several occasions. He just came out. So were you a firm believer when you were young? Mm-hmm, yeah. The, what, uh, did, without a doubt. So you, you were completely convinced of everything they say? You never had moments of doubt with? Uh... No, well, um, 
you be you get baptized at the age of eight. It's the age of accountability in the Mormon Church, and um, I I did not get baptized at the age of eight because my parents got divorced and it kind of delayed things. And then my best friend was killed in a car accident. It was the only time in my life up until I left the Mormon Church that I was really started to question. And I was just a little kid at the time, but um, I. <sighs> No, no. <laughs> until the, it's pretty much it. Just that one time that that, um, I well, I didn't want my dad to baptize me. When I was ten, I got baptized, and I didn't. I didn't believe that my dad was a good enough Mormon that my baptism was going to count. So that's how much I I believed, and I didn't doubt. Okay, so so you so you didn't doubt. So, what at what point uh, do you get the magic underwear? When you go to the temple, um, either you go when you go on a mission, because um, it used to be the age of 21 for girls and 19 for boys to go on their two-year mission. And so you have to go to the temple before that, and it's, you receive what's called your endowments. And that's when you're given the the underwear you get um, pulled through the veil. That's a whole other <laughs> that's a, what does that mean? Yeah, well, there's a literal veil in the in the temple you get pulled through, where it's to symbolize your going from the um, this life into the the afterlife, and you it, there's three different kingdoms um, that you can go into, and so it's it's all sim symbolic. You have um, secret handshakes you have to learn, weird words like pale ale. I think nowadays I think they took it out, but you um, there used to be bloodos where you would. Um, promise to slit your throat if you ever revealed the tokens and signs of the temple and there's naked anointing with oil so you you're naked except for this um it, it's like a sheet that comes over you but it's slit on both sides and they they anoint you with holy oil in your reproductive areas for you know so you can have lots of babies lots of sex because that's a good thing right you just um, said like 10 it completely insane things that I don't even know where to start with. I sorry, um, it, it's it's so it, that's all the things that go on in the temple, and it's so that's what you have to do before you even go out on your mission, and that's when you receive the the crazy underwear and things. But yeah, the, I could talk for hours about the Mormon stuff. <laughs> I mean, uh, there's a lot of crazy stuff in there, but even I mean, you just get into like you, you said there was like secret handshakes. Yes. Right. Which is probably the least crazy thing you said there, but still, you know, it's still just a little thing that, you know, that it's such a kind of, it's almost cheesy in a way. And, it, you know, it, it creates a certain exclusivity for the group. Mm -hmm. there, there seems like from what you're telling me, there seems to be a lot of kind of symbolic. Um, it's, it's very Masonic. Know, yeah. For like traditions to kind of reinforce the idea of, a, of an, of an exclusive group. Mm -hmm. We're a special club like, where, you know, we're the elite chosen ones mm -hmm. and white being white helps as well because uh, the most valiant people are with white skin. And they, they the were essentially like believed like the black people were demonic or something like that before. Yeah, they had the mark of Cain. Um, I, they now deny that they ever taught that, but I was taught that growing up. Um, oh, you were taught that? Yeah, yeah. What, what, what would they teach you? Just that that black people were impure in the pre-existence because they believe that everyone existed in in heaven with heavenly mother and heavenly father, and. Um, you you're chosen your spirit is a body's chosen for your spirit and you come down and um we fought a great battle with satan in the pre-existence so the ones that were less valiant didn't fight as hard were 
had dark skin. And and the Book of Mormon used to say that the more pious and, and good you were in, in fancier language, that your skin becomes more white and delightsome. They actually taught Native Americans. The Mormon Church had a Native American um, placement program where they would take Native American kids and place them with Mormon households, um, like kind of like a foster program. Um, it, it's real controversial. But um, they used to tell the, the Native American kids that their skin would become lighter if they you know, went to church and did as they were told. And this was up until the 80s. Really? Yeah. Until the 80s, they were teaching this. Because mm -hmm. black people couldn't even be members until 78. And th now there are black members, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. yeah. Why? I know. I always, I, I would always look at them and be like, why would you join this church? Because Brigham Young, my relative said that if the races mix and have babies, they should be put to death. He didn't, he didn't say that, that the church said that, but that was his own personal opinion. There was nothing worse or more of a sin than mixing of races. And, and you know, it just, but they deny it now. No, we were never racist, never happened. Okay. <laughs> Until what age were you just full Mormon? Um, 17, about 17. I, well, I married a Mormon when I was 17. And you it married lasted. a Mormon? Yeah, yeah. We, okay. we were married for a very short amount of time. Um, the marriage wound up getting annulled, actually, because um, I found Islam. I left the Mormon church and my husband for, not even for a man at the time. I was, I, I did convert for love, but I started studying Islam before I met the man. Okay, how does that happen? How do you get to Islam? My uncle, I've, I, which I talked about, um, the, my Libyan uncle, was trying to get me to marry his nephew. And... Um, he, when I was younger, he used to tell me that because I was back and forth between the UK and the US and he used to say, I don't like you being raised in, in either country. I, I would like it if you were sent to Egypt to be raised like a proper Muslim girl. And um, I spent summers, every summer with them. So I, I, was, I went to the mosque um, for different events and things and, and celebrated things with them. So I was introduced to it and it, it, it was a really romantic lifestyle to me. Like I, because because I was so used to being taken care of in the Mormon church, like women can't work. You're told, obviously women do work, but you're you're basically told that you can be a homemaker and nothing but a homemaker. And it really is going to make God sad if you try to do anything else. Um, so I felt like this, this romantic idea of Islam and how I would be taken care of and um, not looked at for my looks and, and valued. I really thought I was going to be valued in Islam. It just, it's it's crazy. Did you, did you yeah. not feel like uh, the same equivalent of value in the Mormon church? No. Um, I mean, what is the difference there? Because you would think that, I, I don't, I, I can't, it's hard for me to see how one is measured as more valuing woman than the other. Well, in, in the Mormon church, which is the same as in Islam, but I was going into it, I was told that the man was the head of household that my son, if I had one, and obviously I didn't at the time, that um, but at the age of 12, he had more spiritual authority than I did. He was given the gift of the priesthood, which means he could he could give blessings, he could make decisions for the family. In the hierarchy, he, he meant, he was worth more in God's eyes than I was mm -hmm. as a woman. And the polygamy thing, I had such a hard time because my grandfather had uh, was a, a practicing polygamist 
and he was a fundamentalist, which is why I said my dad was um, had left the fundamentalist lifestyle to go to the mainstream Mormon church. But so I hated polygamy. I hated everything about it, and I and I argued about it all the time. Um, how do how do Mormons who are not polygamists feel about polygamy? Well, now they they say that it it was well the reasoning for polygamy that they give is that um, there wasn't enough men because a lot of men died or they were sent on missions and didn't come back so there was all these widows and they all needed someone to marry them which is absolute garbage um they don't really like to talk about it or admit that they were polygamists the fundamentalists which is like um at some point my family broke off with my great-grandfather on once i don't know it's it's confusing but um they they do not admit that um it was really ever practiced in, in, in large amount. I mean, they just, they just admitted Joseph Smith had 33 wives. They just came out with this. Like they never admitted that growing up. I went to all these classes and, and learned about Joseph Smith, but he had one wife and that's what I was told my whole life. And then just recently, a couple years ago, they're like, Oh, by the way, he had these 33 other wives. <laughs> we're like, but everyone what? else in, like historically knew that, right? Yeah. But Mormons were told not to look not to question, don't go online and look. Um, anything that you read is anti-Mormon propaganda and they really drill that into you. They really pound it. So that, that- But now for, now the Mormon church, like even within the church, they recognize he had that many wives. Yes, uh -huh. and Brigham Young too, like uh, over a hundred, I think was the total. But it's, so you don't feel special. I felt special because I was a, a Latter-day Saint and I was gonna be, you know, I'm the chosen people and, but as a woman, I didn't feel empowered or special. And um, I, I, Mormons are also very judgmental people. If you don't fit the physical characteristics of what they think you should fit, you're shunned. So I was a fat kid and, and um, I, I was shunned terribly for it and treated terribly for it. So I, I, I felt like I was always being judged based on the way I looked or what my um, accomplishments were rather how pious or loving or kind I was. So it, it seems crazy looking back on it now, but I felt like Islam would focus more on my inside than my outside. That makes okay. sense. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. But did you, did you at the time see any negativity towards women in Islam at that moment? No. No? Mm -mm. Just that, just that, that story, not without my daughter. That's what everyone would tell me. Read that book. But I thought that was just um, Iran, isolated uh -huh. incident. Men, you know, they weren't all like that. So you hadn't read the Quran, for example, at that time? No, not really. Yeah, There's... so it's this kind of light reading or kind of hearing about Islam from others? Yeah, somebody had gotten me a couple um, books, of uh, like hadiths. Um, I had been, a, a nice sister had bought me a, a Quran, a, a, I can't remember which one it was, but um, I barely had started reading it. I started covering my head before I probably read the first two surahs of the Quran. That's how easily led I was. Really? So, yeah. So. I wanted, I wanted it so bad, Lalo. I wanted it so bad. What did you want so bad? I wanted that that life. I wanted to be a part of that. I want it was romantic and it was different and it was this this um I wanted to fit in. I wanted to have an identity and a culture cuz I I being from two different countries and living in two different places um 
I never felt like I had an identity or culture or and just a white person. I'm a mutt, a mixture of all different things. So I kind of have the Scottish culture, but at the same time, I very much just West Coast LA kind of kind of identity, but it I I longed to have that. I was so jealous of like Italians that had their the Italian family back home. I, I wanted that so badly. And Islam kind of filled that hole, I think. So you felt kind of jealous of people who had a strong like cultural identity cultural identity in their yeah. background that wasn't just american white oh yeah yeah at the end right yeah that doesn't, you don't really get that with a lot of people who are like well i'm a mix of like scottish and british and german but like have no family back there and it's like just i'm just they're just white and american basically. yeah but that yeah. for me that um mormons are also very dis trusting of the american government we're kind of it's bred into us um i know it's kind of it seems counterintuitive because a lot of the uh, the fbi recruits from the mormon church and like uh, byu and stuff but um the mistrust of government Wait, the FBI rec recruits from the mormon church oh yeah from from they they recruit ex like missionaries that have come home because they're wow. they're 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 groomed to take orders and to do as they're told that's what mormons do you take orders that once so, once you said that that makes sense yeah they're, they're they make good police officers um they make good military you know um service members they make they're they make good fbi workers or whatever they call the fbi people agents. but yes thank you agents <laughs> 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 the big words that are hard for me <laughs> okay yeah i mean that makes sense like you have a person who's just taught to follow orders and kind of be clean, clean cut and yeah, ethical and yeah i belong to a church that believed that jesus came to the united states and the book of mormon was buried in a hill in new york on golden plates and that was our that was our bible you know it mm -hmm. was very um uh, just american centric i guess it just it, it so i i didn't i and i missed the 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 scottish identity or the the british identity that i had um, I, I kind of tried to throw away because I was embarrassed. I wanted to just be American and then all of a sudden that wasn't enough. And I, it doesn't make any sense looking back. I was a crazy young person who came from a broken home. I, I brought this up earlier today when I, I, I was talking to um, Introverted Smiles. Most converts, I think, have daddy issues and come from broken, at least the girls. They, they don't come from good homes. And I came from a, a very abusive, broken home. So you're saying that white people who go white girls who go into islam do it for the same reasons as white girls go into porn yes <laughs> that's interesting <laughs> minus the so, pole <laughs> so you either, either do porn or do or you become a muslim or become a muslim <laughs> i'd be fascinated to know if there was one that did all three um i mean <laughs> so i mean that okay then again that makes kind of sense because you're bringing like a certain kind of order to your life yeah. Um, right. I, I did better. I, I accomplished more when I was, when, when I was a full fledged Muslim and I didn't, I get accused all the time. You know, you weren't a real Muslim. You just, you know, you're just a convert. It doesn't mean anything. You didn't really practice Islam. I, I not only practiced Islam, but I delved right into it head first and, and really genuinely bought into it. I genuinely, genuinely believed it. And that's why I, I covered my head. I, I went from, casually wearing a scarf to going to full hijab to niqab getting you, more and more conservative you did, you did full niqab yeah for two years 
Wow. How, how's that experience? Really annoying, really hot. Um, I, I got did treated. Did you feel empowered? Yes. You did? Yes. I mean, that's interesting. You, I, like, you hear that, but how, how, so how was the feeling of empowerment with being in the, in the cup? I, I believed and felt that I was only judged solely on the words that came out of my mouth. And I, I didn't have to worry about um, feeling, you're, you're taught that a man or any kind of lustful look at you or, or allowing yourself to be gazed upon makes you less worthy um, and, and, and dirty, you yourself. So I, I felt like I was safer, I was, I was revered, I was more of a princess because I was like a hidden gem. And, and only the chosen people are allowed to see the hidden gem. So just my husband and, and my children and the women, but not even the male family members, not cousins, not, um, not well, my father-in-law, I never met him, he passed away, but um, like the other uncles that took the place of the father, they could never see me without hijab or the niqab. So I just felt like I, it made me feel more special, basically. There's a, I mean, there, there's obviously a basic problem with the idea that the niqab or the burqa or, or any kind of veiling, it, you know, cover is covering your, you as kind of this gem, this special entity below it, that to begin with the, a problem there is that you're already telling yourself you're kind of a gem, right? You're already uh -huh. kind of in, in the mindset that you're special and that you're something special to look at. Right, so it's like, oh, I'm protecting my 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 greatness, right? So there's already a level of narcissism there, and oh and yeah, another, and another thing is that you you also think you're not being judged because you're covered, but there's a basic also problem that a person if they wore like a clown mask everywhere, they could say, well, I'm not being judged on my looks. That's true. Now I'm judging you as a person who's wearing a clown mask, right? Oh and, yeah. And, and that also applies not that they're wearing a clown mask, but at the same time, you're a person who has decided to cover up their face. Now, I don't know what you look like, so I, I can't judge you on the way you look, but I am judging the fact that you're covering your face, which mm -hmm. is, al well, that is already like it, it has its own problems in itself that you decided not to interact with me face to face or that, you, you know, you're, you're you decide to, to cover or that. And for any reason, it seems very bizarre. It's like if you say you're doing it because you feel your looks are special. Okay, that, 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 doesn't, that doesn't come off well to me, right? Or that, that I, I just want to be judged on what I'm saying. It's, it's like, well, I, I can judge what you're saying and you know, look at you at the same time. It's like to, to, to assume that people are, are incapable of judging you what you're, on what you're saying because they can see your face is also kind of condescending to the rest of the world. Oh yeah, right. but it, you 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 take you deal with that by dehumanizing the people that you think may be judging you. Because when I would go into the non-Muslim areas, because you you pretty much only shop at the the halal places and you the same streets. Um, like there's like an area like say Scotland. There's Allison Street in Glasgow where it's mainly just like the the um, halal meat markets and the, the the shops where you get your material for your shawar kameez and things like that. Um, when you go outside of that comfort zone and you deal with people um, that would look at you differently because you have your face covered, then you dehumanize them. They're, they're a non-believer. They're dirty. Um, they, they, they're going to hell. It doesn't matter what they think. So, that, of course, Satan's gotten into them and made them think that this is, this is silly. 
So basically you have bad thoughts about everybody. You know, if you feel like you're being judged and so that's how, kind of how you justify it. Cause what would they know? Mm. But I mean, how would you react to me if I, if I told you, Jen, like I've decided to start color, covering my face everywhere because I don't want people judging me on my looks home. Like you, you'd probably just laugh at me, right? I, like, I either that or book a psychiatrist. Right. Yeah. It's, <laughs> I mean, the same thing applies really to anyone, right? It's not, it's not particular to, to women or men in that sense. But, um, so what, at what point did you, did you do the, the Shahada? Yeah, I took I took the shahada. Did you do that before you met the person you would later marry? No, I I took that um I took the official shahada like two weeks before we got married. Mm -hmm. But I had already been going to the masjid like every Friday for about a year. Can I ask how you met the person you you online? Online. Then did you actively look for? No, like a, I a Muslim husband, or was it just by accident? It was by accident. It was um, it was for university students, and he was at, at uni in the same area as me, and mm -hmm. um, we we lived close enough that we could meet each other. So, but we talked for almost a year before we actually met. Okay. And then um, I took the shahada and we got married. And okay, but what happened with your family? Did you do it in private? Did they know about this person before you got married? They did. I, I did inform them that what was going on, but as, as stubborn as I am, um, I tend to just do things and consequences be damned. So I announced it and um, I, everyone was in the US at the time. So I left from the US to go back to the UK because not everyone, but like my, my parents had come back to the US for a short amount of time. So I, I said, I'm leaving and I got on a plane, I think the next day and, and went back and got married. So they weren't there. They they weren't invited because they weren't Muslim, and I wasn't going to have um, non-Muslims at my wedding. They couldn't come to the mosque. What? So, so it's not that they didn't want to go. You not that they didn't go? even know. <laughs> but so so there's like probably two things there. Like one, they probably wouldn't go if they were invited, right? Absolutely not, because because Mormons they won't know. They 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 would have really. And if they, even time. if they wanted to go, they wouldn't be able to come because they're not Muslim. Well, no, they they could have gone to the mosque to the actual nikah because mm -hmm. um, the what is we had the you have the walima and the ka, so they could have been to part of it, but not all of it. I just didn't Can want you them. There. Now, what is the walima and then the nikah? Well, the nikah is the actual like ceremony mm -hmm. um, where you just like have your um, it's you, you say, yeah, we marry each other. There's no aisle to walk down or anything. You just go before the imam and, and they are the, I had to have a representative speak for me. It's not technically the way it's supposed to happen if you've been married before, but, um, the, one of the family friends basically spoke on my behalf and arranged the, the contract and everything for the marriage and did the um, dowry because there had to be a dowry. And, um, I gave $1,500, and um, no, he gave me $1,500. I gave him a, a Quran. I think that's how we did it. Mm -hmm. But um, the Walima is the, the banquet, the, the wedding party, and it can go anywhere from one day to three days. And, and the, your, let's say a non-Muslim can attend the Walima? Yeah, it, it, they could have gone to the actual Nikah, 
but it would have been, they were a Sunni sect, but um, I don't know. They were very, very extreme. They're, they're the people that they hung around with and, and the, the, the actual like mosque that they went to that I got married at um, it was a very extreme mosque and it, it would have been frowned upon highly had I tried to bring them. But I just, so I didn't. It's kind of funny because when you have bigotry on both sides, everything kind of works out. Cause like, right? Well, I, right? Like, I don't want you around me. Well, that's great. Cause I don't want you around me either. So, <laughs> so it's like kind of like, it's only when one side is bigoted that you have a problem. When both sides just don't want each other around the other, then it's all, all fine and dandy. Right? Just, yep. stay over there, I'll stay over here. It works out. Poor me in the middle though. Right. So, so you are trans. That's the problem. You were transferring over, and that's kind of a weird thing because you have family on 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 the other side. But were, was there any, um, you know, uh, disdain on on the side of the the husband? His family for for my family and for me, or for marrying a yes a, a convert, a white yeah. woman, a Western. Lots. Up until up until ten minutes before the nikah, his mom was trying to talk him out of it. Okay. <laughs> they were not happy. But I, were the were the men on the on his side of the family at least happy? He's like, oh, he's marrying a white woman or something. Um, at first, yeah, because a couple of the men in his family had married um white converts, and they all were very. I don't want to sound horrible. Um, unattractive. Okay. And, and um, not very intelligent. So they they were easily controlled. And um, I was very easily, not easily controlled. I, I gave in, but I gave in with a fight. Um, so the men told my ex that they felt sorry for him because I had so much fire in me. It was basically what they said. You know, she's too strong-willed. Okay. And the, so, <laughs> so, so she has they, a mind, like that's terrible. <laughs> but so at first it was okay because like you were a white convert, which is appealing. But but um but the fact that you kind of were outspoken instead of for yourself, they, they didn't like that part. Yeah, and I asked questions. And that's and always asked, bad. Too many questions. Mm -hmm. uh, women I asked, wanted to uh, be explained to me. Yeah, women asking questions, it's always a problem. Um, yeah, it is, it is. But, yeah. you know, if, if you tell me that I have to do something a certain way, I want to know why. And telling me that because the Quran says that isn't good enough. Show me where in the Quran it says that or where in the Hadith or who I'm supposed to be emulating to do whatever it is I'm supposed to do. So it just, <laughs> I asked too many questions. <laughs> okay, so from there, what happened? You're, you're now married to, to a Muslim, having left the Mormon church. And you're yeah. at what age right now? Like 20, you said? I was uh, eight, 18, like 18. 18, okay. Yeah. Wow, you're really young. Yeah, I was very young. Um, we, well, I lived with his family in, in the UK at first. Um, I moved in with them because he's the youngest son and the sons always stay with the, the family. Was he, was he about the same age as you? N no, he was 27. 27, you're 18, yeah. okay. Mm -hmm. um, so we lived with them. Um, he was finishing up his master's, so I I didn't take a job. He wouldn't let me work. I wanted to work. I remember I tried to get a, like a six-month like temporary position at a recruiter's, and he didn't want me to do it. But um, eventually I won, and I was able to work a little bit. And then so 
Um, it helped speed up his master's. And then we moved because he got a job in London. So we left his, his family home and went to Ealing, which is a very, um, it's, it's an area where there's a lot of Muslims. And um, then we went from Ealing to Essex, but um, in between then, after, after we went to Ealing, we went, he, that was my first trip to Pakistan and then um, in India and we stayed there for a while, but we moved a lot. We probably moved every six months. Mm -hmm. and so we so, never settled. And how was, how was during, how was it during that time? Were you um, happy? Did you feel like you, you were like, cause you, you said you would be kind of um, gravitated towards Islam and became interested because you wanted an identity, a sense of culture. Did you get that? Yeah, at first, yeah. I. It was really hard. I, the sliding into Islam was hard, but actually, like learning everything I needed to learn and adapting, um, I, it was really cool at first, and and I, I felt welcome by a lot of people. There was a lot of people that were horrible to me and treated me terribly, and didn't want anything to do with me, but there was there was a lot of really great people. So um, it it didn't start getting. Was it mostly the women who were nasty? Yes. The women are terrible. I mean, we talked about this in the last uh, episode, right? That how women are particularly misogynistic towards other women. Yeah, they're right. they are the worst. The men are always, you know, a wink and a, you know, ah, oh, you know, women are women. You know, they just kind of shake their head. Just so like that. kind of talking down to you, but the nastiness really came from the women. Yeah, I. Yeah. The the worst things. I mean, even just my my ex mother in law not speaking to me for six months because I put the Quran on the floor, not knowing that it wasn't okay. You know, that I was, I was like, I was scared and alone and um, I didn't have any family near me. I didn't have any friends. I, I was trying to make a new life and um, nobody eased me into it. Nobody was nice about it. Like I said, some people were nice to me, but it was, it was people that the family didn't know that I met at the, the mosque that became my, my, surrogate family that were nice to me um, and and taught me about Islam and taught me how beautiful Islam I thought at the time could be. Um, it, it was a couple years before things started getting slowly, like the ex, she would, she would say things about America or about the UK and about how it was, you know, I mentioned, you know, thing, little comments about it was good that so-and-so died or it was good that this terrorist activity went, went off. And, and I, I didn't pick up on it right away. It, it was slow. Like the Jews are responsible for everything. Um, it was, it was much worse when I was in, in Pakistan and in Doha too, it was really bad. Cause his mom was a, his mom's a psychiatrist. She was a, a psychiatrist in Doha. Um, and so she was between Doha and the UK. So we went back and forth and it, it was always worse. I was always treated worse in in the uk and in pakistan than in um the middle east by the women really? yeah oh, by the women yeah why was that i don't know um it seemed like in the middle east even like going on hajj and everything the the women were much more accepting of of a white convert than in the asian areas i never went to bangladesh i we went to afghanistan because um his his mom has family there um right past the border um uh, between, I don't even know that we went from, um, 
we went from Pakistan to Afghanistan and then um, back. I'm trying to think. I mean, if you don't have to be specific to certain places. No, I was just thinking, I was just trying to remember if we flew or not. I don't think we did. But um, it was it was How always long worse. You in, in Afghanistan? I was only there for a month. Mm -hmm. With the family of, of yeah, of your just visiting. Uh -huh. Oh, the food was amazing. Oh, the food is great. It's so good. Well, that's, that's good so much better than Pakistan. <laughs> Pakistan food. Pakistan food is not great. No, it's it's okay. Um, okay. It, yeah, yeah, it's all right. The, I feel like you're just saying that now because like, oh, I don't want to get the Pakistanis. <laughs> I, I can make everything. Like I know how to cook everything, but it doesn't mean I liked everything. Okay. But yeah, I, I felt like the women were always better. They they, they treated converts. Um, I talked about that group of, of uh, wives and Muslim husbands. They, the, all these ladies that had married Muslim guys and um, how they kind of said the same thing. A lot of them being in the UK, there's a lot of, of the Pakistani Indian kind of Bangladeshi, uh, the men that the women, there's not a whole lot of Middle Eastern dudes there. You know what I mean? Um, so they had the same kind of, the ones that were with men from the Middle East had a better time with their mothers-in-law even. It not, it not great, <laughs> not wonderful, <laughs> but better. So I just, it just anecdotally, just from the different, dealing with so many different relationships and women through the years and, and seeing how they've turned out, I really do think that they deal with converts a little bit better as far as the women go in the Middle East. So what, what else happened while you were in the UK living there? Um, were, well, you just, were you just indoors and then would just go to mosque? Well, I was, I could go out and, and do things I, um, he didn't really control as long as I stayed within, you know, a few miles of home, I could go or to whatever. At this time, were you in hijab or niqab? Yeah. Or? Yeah. I was in hijab. I didn't hijab. wear niqab till the last um, couple years. How, how did you feel around walking around in a hijab? Well, how was that feeling? Um, again, if I was in the heavily Muslim areas, it was fine. And I felt proud. I felt very proud. Um, mm -hmm. to show off my my religion. And I believed that it was my choice, even though it wasn't. I told well, myself it was my choice. What do you mean it wasn't your choice? Well, I, I couldn't, I, I was not allowed, and I was told in, in no uncertain terms that I was allowed to go out without a hijab on. Now, I could have done it anyway, but I would have gotten the crap beat out of me for it. So I, I didn't have a choice. But I told myself it's what Allah commanded, and that's what I, I was supposed to do. So I convinced myself that I wanted to do it. So, so it's, it's kind of interesting what you're saying. It's, you're saying that there is a level of choice, but at the same time, there isn't. So, so it's not exactly untrue when Muslim women say it's a choice that could be true, but that doesn't mean that if they took it off, there wouldn't be consequences from their family and their parents and the men in the family and their community. Yeah. Cause there's no religious police in, well, not official religious police in the UK. There are religious police, but um, it's not it's not a law. You're not going to get in trouble. You're not going to risk getting um, hurt because you're not wearing hijab. But so it is a choice. But you don't really have a choice. So yeah, hmm. you, you you in your community, in your relationship with your parents, um, people will talk. 
they you if you go out without your hijab you're you're going to be shunned and a pariah and they're going to say that you're loose so you won't be able to find someone to marry say if you're you're looking i mean you have to present yourself a certain way because marriages are handled completely differently <laughs> than normal marriages you were also saying that your mother-in-law would say certain things about supportive of certain terrorist acts when they happened or speaking very uh, bad, like anti a lot of anti-Semitism, those kind of things. W would you feel also when you hear, when you heard those kind of things, the attitude of how Muslims would talk indoors and say that kind of thing, and then outdoors around others was totally different? Oh, um, I would watch her. I, I never equated my uncle was a good man and like his and, and my other uncle that my auntie married, they were good men and um, they died young, but I loved them and, and I loved their families. And, um, but I, I, so I wasn't introduced to the whole idea of, I never heard the things he said about Islam. I don't know if he, he lied to people about what Islam really was. I know he talked to me about it, but with my being introduced to my ex's family and friends, it was the first time I'd ever really come across saying one thing um, behind closed doors. And then because she was a, a doctor, there was a lot of people, white people, non-Muslims that would come to our house or um, we would go to functions where she um, was being given an award or something was going on. And um, there would be a lot of times when she would get into conversations about things and, and she just say, for example, um, about wearing hijab because it says that in, in one part of the Quran, it says, you know, to rip the bottom of your skirts and draw them up over your bosoms. It doesn't say anything about, um, or in Hadith, it doesn't say anything about actually having to cover your face. But in, in to me, behind closed doors, she would say, well, these are, the, these are the reasons why, and this is where in the Quran and Hadith where it says that you have to do these things. And, and to say that I'm, it's a compulsion, I absolutely have to do it. But then in the same breath, not two hours later out at an event, she was telling a white woman that, you know, th there is no compulsion, that you don't have to do it, that, that it doesn't say anywhere in the Quran or Hadith that you have to do it. And, and that it's, it's the women choose to do it because it's a cultural thing and, and because they're revered. It's the same thing. I want to be a, their princesses. But it, it was so disingenuous and it was so, I'd never seen that before. And, and I didn't understand if it was such an amazing, peaceful religion and it was so great and it gave women all these rights. And it, 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 why, why lie about it? Well, what do you think the logic was going on in, in the head there of people who do that kind of thing, who say one thing indoors and then outdoors to, you know, the, the kufar as we were called, like the, like what is the logic in their, their heads? Is, is it, is it justifiable to them to do that even religiously or is it is it is it is it embarrassment of like what their religion really says is it that they're what what is what is that no, it's just it's justified in the religion in in mm -hmm. not just in times of war um to non-muslims to lie about islam it, you, it's actually encouraged to even um trick people into believing in islam or to being a muslim because once you once you're a muslim you can't you can't leave Islam, you know that, the punishment is death. So once you've said, I'm a Muslim, and you live in an Islamic country, even if they tricked you into it, that's too bad. <laughs> You're a Muslim now. So um, they will say, say that you know you, you 
you can drink as I'm saying a man wants to drink and they say, well, yeah, you can be a Muslim. You can drink. And then as soon as he says he's a Muslim, ah, you can't drink in Islam. Sorry. So I guess you can't, you're going to have to stay Muslim. You can't drink anymore. And, and he doesn't have a choice. So it, I think, um, they, they do it because they think they know better. And that, and again, it's, it's kind of dehumanizing the, the non-believer in a way that they're patting them on the head. They don't know any better because shaitan's in them and they're dirty and evil and, and um, they need to be tricked or they need to be told a different story. Does that, have, does that make sense? I don't know why, but I, that is kind of su surprising in a sense that, that they think that their religion is so superior and it's so chosen and they, they're so in the right. If they really thought that, why don't they express it so more explicitly? Yeah. Well, why even try to hide it? Agreed. That's, that's, again, that was one thing that little things over time, you know, you mm -hmm. kind of just like, hmm, that's, that's interesting. I, I wasn't able to put the same lens on the Mormon church that, that I did with Islam until later. Um, did just, that happen, uh, for example, with, with Mormons, you felt that th this kind of double speak with, with I, outside the church? Well, yeah, they're even doing it now um, with the, mm -hmm. um, that the new anti-gay doctrine that just came out in November they're they're saying that they're it's not anti-gay, but every child that's a, a a child of a gay person cannot be a member of the church, and basically they're saying that they would rather them be dead again, dead than than acting on a, a lust of the flesh, which would be being homosexual. It's just something you have to get over. It's it's not natural. It's not normal. Just get over it. You know, just so they say that to the members, but then when anyone else asks them about it, they say that's not what they're saying. That's not what they're teaching. That's not what they believe. It's it's out of love. They want gays to die out of love. So, but the, the, they don't really say that they want them to die. But everything that they say, it's it's supposed to be you know out of love, and it just it. But it, it's a it's just it's a lie. It's an outright lie. So I, I didn't notice it with the Mormons until after I had left Islam, left my ex, left that whole environment and came to the U.S. It's kind of I, I feel like uh, religions and groups like Mormons or Scientologists or um, Jehovah's Witnesses, um, a lot of evangelical groups. I feel like those are very good examples of especially when in, in churches or groups that are very extreme in their beliefs. They're very good examples of showing that people can be extremely religious, very, very disastrous, misogynistic, uh, tribal beliefs. And there is no explanation there that you could say that, well, it's it, it's actually not because of the religion, it's because of American interventionalism, you know, <laughs> drones dropping bombs on cities and poverty. Mm -hmm. It's like, it, I, you know, I, I've seen so many extreme Christian groups and extreme Christian churches and all other kinds of religions as well um, th that have absolutely none of those qualities to them whatsoever. And, and the people who make these excuses for Islam and Muslims will totally agree with me. They'll say, yeah, obviously in that case, it has nothing to do with American interventionism. Right. And yes, it has nothing to do with dropping bombs or war. Absolutely not. It has, well, this is a product of, you know, a thousand years of crusades. No, they will say, obviously, that has nothing to do with it. It's like it, the, a lot of these places, these people are not necessarily poor. You know, they're either middle class or sometimes upper middle class. So it's mm -hmm. not probably, probably it'll be, oh, yeah, of course, that that's true, too. 
But then you though go to Islam and it's like, oh no, no, no. It actually has nothing to do with the religion. Actually, the more you extreme you get, the less it has to do with the religion and more it has to do with these other qualities. They'll make these these assertions just in the case of Islam for some reason. Does it make any sense? It makes no sense to me. The blinders are on and I don't understand it. It is it it makes me it makes me want to pound my head against the wall, but it it is I keep saying this, it is so dangerous. It's so um, condescending. It's it's harmful to to people that have to, to people that have been through it. To ex-Muslims, to Muslims that need reform, they need change. They need people speaking out to say, you know, where is the moderation in all of this? It, it it's it's too extreme. But it by it, it, its very core, Islam is built on violence, and it's very very core. So you you can't be surprised. When that's where it goes, it's inevitable ending is, and that's what that's what they want. They want Sharia across the world. That that is the the goal of Islam, and they believe with Inshallah that that it will be taking over the entire world. But that you know, and it's a funny thing. It's like a lot of every single extremist religious group I was just talking about, whether it be the evangelicals or Scientologists or. Jehovah's Witnesses, they say the exact same yeah, thing yeah. about about it spreading and it being, an, you know, their religion spreading spreading to a hundred percent the entire world. That is right? true, and and it's it's very similar. But then again, if you if I if I was making excuses for Scientology or even evangelicalism, right? If if I was making these same excuses, these same people who are apologists for Islam, they would tell me, "Oh, you're making excuses." It's like obviously, like like nothing is going to change with Scientology if you keep making excuses for Scientology. And oh. if I if I said the misogyny and the racism in uh, in Mormonism, right, has nothing to do with the religion. Or, Somebody, like the same people would tell me you're just making excuses. Nothing is going to change if you keep making these excuses. Obviously, it has something to do with the religion. It's mainly the religion, if not entirely the religion. But then I'll say that, oh, well, yeah, it's, that's true for Islam. Oh, no, I'm sorry. No, actually not. <laughs> actually, then it has nothing to do with it. Can you imagine them saying something like, if you speak out against Mormons, the more you speak out against them, the more like violent they'll become? This I mean, the, the people most... you should be listening to are the ex-Muslims. Those yes. are the people you should yes. be listening to. Yeah. I mean, like, they, they're they not the only ones who, who should be listened to, uh, obviously, but they are great people to listen to. Um, oh, yeah, obviously the learned people that that the scholars and, and there, there's a lot of really important people to listen to, but I just find a lot of times ex-Muslims are not listened to. Um, but let's go back to what uh, to your experience with uh, with, with this. So you you were in England and then you traveled to Afghanistan and Pakistan. Mm -hmm. And and well, yeah, every six months we moved. So we went from like the UK to Pakistan, Pakistan to Doha, Doha, back to the UK, just just everywhere. So, just, so let, let's let's also backtrack a little bit to the fact that you're an ex-Mormon and an ex-Muslim. So, when you became an ex, uh, a Muslim, you were officially an ex-Mormon already. No, and, no, okay, mm -hmm. <laughs> no. Why? I did not. Um, to be officially like an ex-Mormon, you have to write into the church and get your resignation papers. I did not do that until just a few years ago. Um, okay. I, I, I also, I snuck in Mormon. Like I tried to get my ex to go to the Mormon church with me at the same time. I don't know how I, I managed to do this, but at some point, um, I had us very involved in Islam and with the Mormon church, not as being a Mormon, but I argued it that I was 
needing an, an injection of American culture in my life. And um, the Mormon church he felt more comfortable with because the men were religious men and, and pious and he, he trusted them with for, he shouldn't have because of what happened in the end. But um, so I was allowed to hang around with the Mormons and he actually kind of uh, encouraged it a little bit. Um, so I didn't get kicked out of the Mormon church for becoming a Muslim. Um, most people would, but I didn't cause I, I'm adorable or something. <laughs> and, um, and then, uh, I, um, when I left Islam, I went back to the Mormon church and, okay. and I, I heavily attended and, um, Wait, you, so you, you became a Mormon again after being, yeah. Muslim? well, yeah. Cause I, I, I do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> back to my, my birth religion you know yeah. the, you know the, the weird thing jen is that to me you come off as such an intelligent person for all the time we've spoken and it's just it's, you say this and it's just i can't imagine what's going on in your head at that time but okay so so let's say not not whether unofficially or by register of the um, the mormon church what i'm in, more interested in is like when you became a muslim did you still did you lose all belief in in Mormonism and just and you fully believed in yeah in Islam? yeah uh huh yeah in your head you could see it like mm -hmm. I don't believe any everything that was written about Mormonism is is a falsehood mm -hmm. and everything about Islam is true yeah that's what, like you were totally in that mentality mm -hmm. absolutely and and then you left uh, Islam why well um. It was a, a, it was leaving well the situation like with my kids being taken to Pakistan having to fake like this wonderful relationship to get them back um, watching like the stoning and like seeing the beheading in Saudi and my son telling me that he didn't have to clean because he was a boy um, it, it was a lot of different things that kind of led up to it but actually like exiting and, and not believing in Islam anymore um, the last straw in the end all be all was that Muhammad was a pedophile and I knew it all those years but I, I couldn't, I couldn't get past it. I couldn't get over it. I'm like, if I cannot be in a faith or with that, that they don't worship Muhammad, but, um, he's the prophet. So that, well, I mean, for them, the point of view of a person who's not religious and has never been religious, I consider not, not just Muhammad is worship, but he is revered. Ex eccentrically worshiped. No, he is worship. I can say, I mean, to me, in my point of view, that's worship. okay. okay. I, I mean, to, to, I mean, I understand that for the level of, of difference that, Muslims put between Allah and Muhammad. They say we don't worship Muhammad. To me, they do. I mean, I, I, I there's no person I hold up to and revere to the level that that Muslims hold up Muhammad. Not even I, close, right? Like they they literally um, model their lives after this person and try to emulate him in every way. I don't do that with anyone. I think that's I, true. I, I do think that's worshiping someone. Absolutely, that is true. I debate yeah. Muslims so much that it's like if it, I it's like natural for me to say no, they don't worship Muhammad because that's what I hear constantly when I'm debating them. So how this man had sex with a child? Uh -huh. I don't, you know, whatever their reasons are, the way they want to argue it away. Um, I was a mom at that point, and and I had a daughter, and they they would talk about they had already had her husband picked out for her in in India, waiting for when she was old enough. Um, probably around 15 would when they would send her over there to go get married. And I wasn't asked, I was told that's what was going to happen. That wasn't enough, but it was enough for me to be, I'm not going to subject my daughter to this life. And I don't think it's true. Um, 
and it, it really was the pedophile thing that that was the sticking point with me that was the end of it um but it took a lot it took it took a lot of heartache and and seeing horrific shit um for for it to finally that be the final straw you know they essentially were, were they kidnapped taken from you were they were they moved there like without your consent is that what happened yeah i came home from work and they were gone because i had asked for a divorce Oh, you so you asked for a divorce, and because of that, it triggered them to we have to get the kids out of the country. Mm -hmm. And then you kind of acted like you were getting back in the relationship to get to your kids again. Yeah. And so I stayed. Um, and then and to and to do that, then you went to Pakistan. Yeah. Okay. Well, I let's kind of jump over that for a second because I feel like that's going to be a, a whole episode right there. <laughs> <laughs> your experience in Pakistan. But um, so let let's just jump. Uh, ahead to the fact that you got them back, you're, you're, you go back to the U.S. after that? Well, no, I went back to the U.K. for a while, um, and then I told him that we were going on holiday to the U.S., and um, we were going to be here for um, a couple months because I, my family, I had some sick family members um, that I wanted to go help take care of. That was my reason. So I packed up everything that I could in the six suitcases and came here. And once we got here, I told them that I wasn't coming back. And then, and then after that, you went to the U S yeah, I was here. That that's, that's where I said that, um, went from the UK to the U S and told them that we weren't coming back. I and offered him became a Mormon again. Yeah. I offered my ex. Um, I told him I wanted a divorce and I, and I said, but you could still come here. Um, and he didn't have a, an American visa or passport or anything. Um, but I told him that I would sponsor him and he could come and stay like with, you know, we were still married and so he could be near his kids, but he opted not to, which was the best thing he ever did. Um, I went back to the Mormon church cause it's all I knew. And I was a single mom terrified. Um, but what, was it, was there belief there? Did you believe again in Mormonism? He, mm, I don't know. <laughs> Not really. They're, they're, I think fun deeply. I had been brainwashed as a child. So um, even, you know, even after not really believing or going back to really believing when I gave in my resignation, it, it physically affected me for days. I was, I was shaky. I was terrified. I was making a mistake. What if I was wrong? Um, I don't know that I could have, I thought I was an atheist back then. I don't really think I was, I still was, I was still scared. Um, I, I believed in it even when I was a, a, a full-fledged like Muslim and I and I bought into that whole thing hook line and sinker and and there was still a tiny part of me I think that still held a, the tiniest trace of belief in in the Mormon faith as an insurance policy I think more than anything else so going leaving Islam and going back to the the Mormon church more because of the community and it's all I knew and um I, I needed some kind of support system. So I got heavily involved with the missionaries again. They started teaching my kids, but it wasn't very long after but that. Say at this point, like your belief was at a very low level. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Definitely. And, so so, was, and how did you go from this to being like a hardcore atheist? <laughs> I know I am a hardcore atheist, huh? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I had a friend, an ex, um, and he, he was raised Seventh-day Adventist, but um, he, his father was an atheist. And so he said to me, five minutes, I can, I can make you into an atheist. And I was like, full shit. <laughs> I'll, I'll make you believe in God. What do you know? Right? 
-hmm. And um, he said, do you believe in pink unicorns? And I said, no. And he said, um, well, I believe in them. I said, that, that's stupid. That's silly. They, they don't exist. He goes, well, prove to me that they don't exist. I think they exist. I have a book here that says they exist. Prove to me they don't. And I started to think about it. And um, then he said, if, if you have free will, and, and, but there's a certain amount of people that are going to go to hell and heaven and all these things that I believed in, it's, it's already preordained or predestined. God knows who. So he's made you specifically to suffer for eternity. You were made to suffer. And he knew that going into it. And I was like, you know, and it was, it was almost instantaneous. He really was, it really was five minutes. I, there's something that clicked. I was like, oh my gosh, it's bullshit. It's all bullshit. Then I had this complete meltdown. Like I broke down completely. I didn't know. I had a child that I had that died and, and I was counting on and us being together after what was that your first was it at what point did you have a child that i had a, I had a child with my very my my first husband the mormon okay um which is why we got married in the first place and why i was 17. oh because you got pregnant yes okay um i kept i had i had brandon even after um uh we split up and i and i brought him with me with my uh to live with my ex the the muslim so he was part of our family initially and he passed away mm -hmm. so i was counting on that and so i kind of mourned my child twice because because i for it, it got me through the there's no grief on earth there's no pain i have ever felt than than that of of the the, the pain after my child died it, it was did would you say that religion helped you yes through that Mm -hmm. I, I probably would have tried to, to harm myself if I did not have religion. Cause I, I believed that he was up there waiting for me. I was going to be with him again someday. We were going to be a family. Um, you know, I, I would never have to be away from him again. And, and God was just keeping him safe for me. So now that you don't believe that, does it make, does it just make it all the much worse? No, actually. Um, I'm more okay with it now. I, I, I believe that we come from Stardust and we go back to Stardust and the fact that this is it. And there, I don't know for a hundred percent sure that um, there's not other weird things going on after we die. But as far as I know, from all the evidence that I have been presented with, and it makes the most sense, this is my only trip. This is my one ride on this, this, this is my life. And so it, it matters more the decisions I make the love that I give, the, the the legacy that I leave, and the relationships I have with people matter more. And so it didn't make it harder to say goodbye to the, the people that I've lost. I've lost a lot of loved ones since then. I'm I'm out of ten siblings. There's three of us left. Um, it, it's and my my parents are dead now. And so it, it's um. I mean, there's another thing that goes on with the with 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 that feeling that you're gonna be with your child in the afterlife. I understand like in your situation, how you say it helped me feel better because I knew I could be with my child later on and that helped you through it. But there are, mm -hmm. very, there are some situations where that same belief can be, can have the opposite, very negative, harmful effect when parents, for example, um, Jehovah's witnesses, I, I believe don't, don't um, accept blood transfusions. 
transfusions, right? Mm -hmm. Even for their children, which I don't think should be legal at all. But for right now, in a lot of for many parts of the world, including I believe in the U.S., if parents don't consent to the blood transfusion, they don't give it. And the and, and that's a, and like and even if the child die, like so, the parents know they're putting their their child in at risk, their life at risk. And I I think in the back of their head they think even if he dies, well, at least we'll be together in, you know, in heaven. And so that same belief that made you feel better can also cause actual harm, real yeah. life harm. Well, th that's right? the inevitable road that religion and takes. Like I see these news stories all the time about, you know, these, you know, these re very religious parents who uh, will pray over their sick child who maybe just has pneumonia or some very oh treatable God. disease that they could just take their child to the hospital and you know, with one shot, get better. And they just, you know, keep the child there and pray over him. And, and then the child passes away. And some of these parents have gone to jail very rightfully. Okay. But if you, if, if you really genuinely believe that it's a better life in heaven, like God's up there and, and you're going to go to paradise and it, it's amazing. And you really love your children. Like you love your children more than anything else in the world. Why wouldn't you want them? Because if they die as a child, they die innocent. Why wouldn't you want them to die? If you're guaranteeing that they're going to paradise and they're going to be happy forever and you're going to be able to join them, why wouldn't that be something to celebrate? It's self. I was taught as a Mormon as I was being selfish for mourning my child because my child was happier and and I should be happy for my child. And, and eventually we'll get to be together again anyway. So I'm just being selfish by focusing on the here and now. And, and, and that's the dangerous part of it. Yeah, wouldn't you even say in that case that the religion actually paid paid like a a negative role in not accepting the grief yes because they're, they're kind of saying like not only should you not be because i i don't think the right way to deal with grief is to say you shouldn't to tell somebody you shouldn't even grieve but i still i i did not get over his death i don't know that i ever will but i did not mm. really grieve until i became an atheist I did not really, that's when I said goodbye. That's when I said, I cherish every moment we had together. He enriched my life. I have a tattoo in his memory. Um, I I can still hear him talk if, if I close my eyes. I can still, I still have blankets that have his smell on them. Um, I, I can't take those memories with me. I, I can only have this impact right here and right now. And, and, and I am a better person for having him in my life. You know, I don't. Doesn't that also help you, like that acceptance and that grief that you knew more healthy went through now, and that acceptance that this is all you have, and your child had a very little limited amount of time. Does don't you think that also helps you in the way you upbring your children now? Oh yeah, yeah. The appreciation you have, like, oh, actually, my children don't have eternity after this life. They have actually just this life. That's why I keep saying I'm 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 a better mother. I'm a better. I'm just, I'm a better person. I'm a better friend. Um, I'm, I'm more empathetic, more kind. The time with my kids is more precious. Right. And, and it seems weird to even think that, that not having a belief in, in a higher power sky daddy would, would ensure that I become a better person, but absolutely. And my relationship with my kids, you've heard my relation, you know, how we talk, even just in that video that I had up with my son, my kids are smart and they're, they're inquisitive and they're curious all the things I never was 
when when I was growing up, I I was comfortable with the fact the earth was six to 10,000 years old. I didn't like anything to do with science. I didn't care about planets and stuff. I, I come across intelligent now. I, I, I was not interested in learning or, or developing critical thinking skills at all. It bored me. So this life, the, the, one, the one that my kids have been exposed to is very different than what they would have been exposed to had I raised them in a different, like in a, in a more religious environment. So it, it, it's definitely made, it's improved all of our lives. And with grief and with um, curiosity, intelligence, just being a good person and making, I call it moral decisions, whatever you want to call it, just making those decisions, not necessarily always to be altruistic, but just because I want to be a good person. Because I want to look in the mirror and say, I did the best I could and I'm not an asshole. And that's it. You know, it's, it, it, but that's what being an atheist has done for me and, and for my children. And they're, they're going to, I broke the chain and the cycle. And that, that's what was important to me. How, how long ago would, would you say you like that you had that epiphany moment speaking with your friend and you became an atheist and you went on this journey of, of being a um, white supremacist atheist? <laughs> <laughs> um, right. Uh, <laughs> Communist. Bank. Islamophobic. <laughs> Republican. It's been yeah. <laughs> <that's> the worst. <laughs> but it's been about six years. About six yeah. years. Yeah, six years. And how how would you say is like your life is is different from like from back then when you were religious? Um I it's it's just better in every way. I I have more freedom. Um I don't have guilt. I I don't, I lived every day with terrible guilt about whatever, you know, I, I never felt like I was good enough. Um, I, I felt guilty pursuing even intellectual things because I was questioning and questioning was bad again. But, but now you, you seem like it's bizarre. Like you seem to me like a person who's never was religious. Really? That's how I come across. That's awesome. So no. you, you really went to, you became a fundamentalist atheist, basically. I did. <laughs> well, that makes sense, right? Because I was kind of a fundamentalist when I was religious. So it being. Yeah. You become fundamentalist in whatever you, you do. Yeah, I just, I do it right. Whatever it is, I got to do it. I got to do it good. <laughs> you declare jihad on whatever religion you join. <laughs> exactly. You're basically an atheist jihadist. <laughs> You're a Shiite I'll be the atheist. first one. <laughs> Twitter and the Twitter, Twitter and Facebook is basically like the atheist caliphate. That it is really like is. Where, that's where we have come to congregate. <laughs> atheist communities, Twitter and Facebook. It's the Uma. It's the Uma. The Uma of Twitter. Oh, oh my gosh. It, it's not as glamorous. <laughs> we don't get on CNN as much. No. But, yeah. but uh but just but it's as much drama. Thing. Just as much drama. Just as much. It is. That is true. If yeah. not more. Yeah. What well, keeps more. things interesting, at least. That's true. That's true. <laughs> okay. Well, let let's uh, well let's end it here, so we don't have a, a three hour video. Okay. Um, but uh, nice. thank you everyone for listening. Thank you.